All right, what's up, everybody? Back sitting down with Zach here and uh, getting another episode out there. How's it going, man? Oh, pretty good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Enjoying this uh, this nice change of weather lately. It's overcast and in the lower 80s, so it's been fantastic. Um, definitely a nice change from the 90s and and hundreds that we've we've had so definitely definitely good i bet it's good for your uh for your farmers yeah we're all excited that it's no longer uh 90 by nine o'clock so yeah for sure we're all able to uh do a little more work outside and not have to have our meetings in the truck so yeah yeah absolutely um so just a couple of things real quick here guys um our latest uh most recent episode uh episode five uh dealing with ego just dropped this morning uh, a little over an hour ago on spotify apple Podcasts, amazon music um wherever y'all get your podcasts it'll be there um, so make sure to go listen to that episode. That was a really good episode. Um, I know that's something that we certainly all struggle with. And if you don't struggle with it, you're lying. <laughs> so, yeah. um, it was a great conversation with Zach and opportunity to sit down and, um, kind of take a pulse on our own, uh, where, you know, each of us are at with, uh, our walk and, um, just challenging each other to be better. So great episode would appreciate if, uh, you guys would go over there and listen to that. Uh, guys, please share the stuff, um, that we're talking about with other people. I know that we're not the only ones that need to hear this stuff. So guys, please share the show. It helps us get the message out there. Um, and as always follow us on Instagram at young codgers podcast. Um, I've posted a couple of, uh, designs that we've come up with that I think would be some pretty cool uh, merch, even if it's just like a coffee cup or or a shirt or something like that. I think there's a couple of those and a couple more too that I've got behind lock and key that we want to get on some shirts or something like that, but that will come. Um, and then, of course, send your questions to askcodgers at youngcodgers.com. Um, this week we're going to be starting something new and having more of a casual conversation, kind of a, um, change of pace and more lighthearted conversation than the, uh, than the stuff that we've been talking about the last few episodes. Uh, this is going to be a new segment for us that we've decided to call, uh, Codger Talk. If you guys have any suggestions, uh, as to what we should call it otherwise please let us know but that's the best i could come up with so <laughs> um yeah. but yeah like gonna I, be reminiscent of working at the farm painting a fence and yeah just uh yeah it just is talking yeah i'm kind of excited for that um seems like we've you know not that these conversations aren't important that we've been having but you know, it is nice to sit down and just kind of have some of these lighthearted conversations, but we're still going to try to, um, provide some sort of advice or, uh, give our opinions and weigh in on relevant topics or, um, talk about something that, that 
we can all learn from. Um, so it won't, you know, as much as it is, as it is shooting the breeze, um, we're going to try to make it at least somewhat engaging and hopefully y'all at least learn something or laugh or take something away from it. So, um, yeah, we'll, uh, you know, probably as codgers do, we'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about, you know, what we've been up to and our hobbies and pursuits and that kind of thing. Um, man, speaking of this weather, Yesterday was freaking amazing. I went went out to the farm and and uh, checked trail cameras and put a couple more mock scrapes out for the deer. Um, I haven't started feeding yet because we're we're waiting on corn. Um, gonna try to get mm-hmm. a steal of a deal on some corn instead of having to buy it by the bag. Um, so we're waiting on that. But um, yeah, it's just freaking awesome it started uh sprinkling on me out there i brought a brought a sack lunch and sat up on the hill and watched it rain and watched some cows and did typical uh codger stuff so yeah sounds like a good day yeah which uh that kind of actually leads us into uh what we're going to talk about today is um hunting and the great outdoors as we're going to call it for sake of a title. Um, so we're just going to kind of sit down and talk about, um, our experience and passion for hunting and the outdoors, probably more specifically geared towards hunting. Um, cause I mean, the outdoors is such a broad, uh, topic. So, uh, we'll probably, spend more time talking about hunting today, but, um, we'll definitely have some more conversations about the broader subject of that. Someone is power washing outside. I don't know if it's coming through over the mic or not, but it's really pissing me off. I'm about to go, I'm about to go full codger mode on this dude. I can't hear it. So we're probably good. All right. Good deal. Um, so with that said, getting back to it, um, Zach, what was your first experience with like hunting or the outdoors? Um, I know you grew up on land, so obviously that probably made it very easy to be able to do that kind of stuff. But, um, what was your like first, uh, experience with the realm of hunting or at least the pursuit? Yeah. So growing up, we weren't really a hunting family, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, when my dad was growing up, his dad didn't really take him hunting. He kind of started late in his life hunting. Uh, yeah. Kind of late college, that kind of time. Uh-huh. Uh, and so growing up, he did a lot of fishing. Yeah. Um, and so kind of my first outdoor experience was camping at the Kings River. Oh yeah, it's nice up there. Yeah, and uh, we would fish and just hang out by the river. Um, So that was really like my first outdoor introduction, I guess. Um, And then along with that, we were really into four-wheeling and dirt bike riding and that Uh kind of stuff. Um, I had my first dirt bike at age four. Oh yeah. Um, So that was kind of like my main first outdoor activity and 
you know, when I was like eight, I raced dirt bikes for a year. Um, wasn't really any good at it, but Freaking it was fun. Sick, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm on a Honda 70cc dirt bike, just riding around a track. Nothing and like not ripping the track on a trail bike, baby. Yep. <laughs> the suckers are but, heavy uh, too. Yeah, yeah. Trying to ramp those tabletops, you get like six inches of air and think that yeah, you're on really, top of the world. There's no like <laughs> power band on those like because we had well you know this we had fifty a little Honda fifties that was my first dirt bike was mm-hmm. a Honda fifty and um we had Honda fifties and golly dude those things were tanks like I'm not kidding mm-hmm. we ran those things into water like above the seat and you just pull the oh, airbox yeah. on them and like clean it out and you're good to go like I don't. Yeah. Like they should make iPhones the way they made Honda fifties. Like good <laughs> Lord. Yeah. yeah. Um, Honda fifties and Honda seventies, just indestructible. Yeah, they are. But dude, it's crazy. I was at the Honda dealership the other day, just like dinking around. Those things are so small. Like obviously when mm-hmm. you're four years old, like it seems, you know, relatively, you know, comparable, but like mm-hmm. I never, I guess, re- cause it's been so long since I like, have looked at one like they're tiny holy cow yeah so i may be wrong on this but last time i was there um i was looking for like a 125 just kind of a trail bike to get around uh different farm fields and stuff i ended up getting a four-wheeler instead probably a better decision well yeah um but they've kind of done away with the you know they used to have the 50 they still have that one for the yeah. really little kids yeah and then they've kind of done away with the 70s 80s 90s hundreds and yeah they just i remember there's like, like a you could 50, have any number you wanted yeah and it like i don't really know uh i think like so it was a 50 a 70 an 80 a 90 and then i think it jumped up to like a 110 maybe or something like they that. They had a 100 for a while and then Did it they? bumped up to a 110. Yeah. But what they do now is they have a 50 and then a 125, but the 125 is the same size as the 80 used to be. Okay. They just have a uh, governor on them that the parent or the dealership oh, yeah. can turn down. So if you are too big for a 50, you can bump up to the 125 and huh. you have kind of a longer period of time that you can ride that one. Yeah. But it's still a pretty small bike. Like, well, I could throw it in the back of the truck if I needed to. Oh, yeah. I remember in my days, because I had a 50 and then got a Suzuki RM65, and that was like going from a freaking Prius to like a Lamborghini in my realm. Because, yeah, you went from a a four stroke to a four stroke, stroke. four gears, no clutch, Mm -hmm. to a clutch, one down. Was it one down five up on the 65s? I can't remember. Or was it one down four up? I can't remember. It's probably one down four up. Yeah, I think it was one down four up like that. with yeah. like an ungodly power van. Because you're going from uh-huh. a, a dinky little like four stroke 50 with no torque whatsoever to just like a full blown race bike. And so that was pretty uh-huh. badass. And then I remember in my day, which would have been probably 2007 or eight when I had kind of outgrown my 65. The big deal was the Honda 150 was like their mm-hmm. 
intro four stroke race bike and you could get the big wheel or the small wheel one. And man, mm-hmm. I remember everybody had those Honda 150s cuz like you didn't have to make that huge jump between like a 125 two stroke and a 250 four stroke or two stroke, mm-hmm. but oh my yeah. gosh, dude, if I could and we're totally off topic here, but yeah. I love talking about dirt bikes, but like <laughs> dude, if I could go find like a 2004 or 5 Honda CR250R two-stroke. Oh my gosh, dude. That would be so fun. And just like fully restore it and just rip around. Oh man. Just that mix yeah, and gas it, and <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah. If I was going to get a dirt bike now for just like trail riding or anything, I would definitely go with the uh, 250 four-stroke race yeah. edition. I Like the trail bike is good. Don't get me wrong. But yeah having a lighter, more nimble bike in the race platform would be a lot more fun than the 250 four-stroke uh, trail bike. So Honda makes one now. Um, I saw it on... Well, I've seen several of them, but it's kind of what you're talking about. I think it's called the 250... Um, CRF 250X. So it's not a full blown trail bike. Mm-hmm. So it's built on more of the like race frame, um, like the 250R, mm-hmm. but the suspension is more set up for like um, trail riding versus like yeah. a track suspension. I think mm-hmm. that would probably be like the perfect uh mixture for me between the two if i was gonna go yeah. get one but like uh, nimble enough that you can play around with it but yeah not so uh not tuned up real good so that you can break all your bones exactly yeah <laughs> yeah but let's I mean, uh, back to, back to the yeah. topic um that's all right so yeah i mean it's part of it uh so kind of grew out of my dirt biking phase and we had a four-wheeler because my dad used it for the farm mostly so i would ride around on that around the farm and we had 55 acres out in gentry gentry america plenty of room to ride around and once i was old enough my dad would let me ride around on the back roads so yeah would tear up the streets of springtown and gentry and uh (laughs) oh pure terror good times uh but yeah, I started shooting. Uh, I think I got my first gun. I think it was a 22 rifle when I was like 10. Yeah. And that kind of started a long road of competitive shooting. And yeah, because you were on the shooting sport. team at uh, in high school and junior high, weren't you? Yeah. So yeah. All through middle school and high school. And yeah. uh, finally, the last two years of high school, we went to nationals, um, which was really cool. I went for pellet rifle and 22 rifle. Yeah. Um, didn't really place, but had fun. So that's all that's, that matters. Yeah, that's um, right. We were also working with guns that were like $500 as opposed to $10,000 competition rifles. Yeah. So, we were at a slight disadvantage, but the gun doesn't do everything for you. So. No, but it helps. Yeah. 
So within that Especially time, competition uh, shooting. Yeah. So. Yeah. It does help because you have like all the adjustments and stuff that you can make mm-hmm. to it. But within that time of uh, getting good at shooting, um, went on a lot of upland game bird hunts for quail, pheasant. Nice. Um, that kind of thing, which is my preferred hunting. For sure. If, if I got to choose, um, I've never been good at duck hunting. I've shot one in my life. Um, <laughs> and last time we went duck hunting, we were in a flooded field and I fell asleep because I was so cold. I was just, yeah. I was done with the morning and that was before I drank coffee. So probably now if I could just sit there and sip on coffee, I'd be a little more comfortable, but sure. Um, but yeah, so I would go duck hunting more for the people to hang out with them than i would yeah. any other reason but yeah um, yeah so that's well, kind of like my hunting journey um never shot a deer yet i plan to this fall yeah um, we're gonna make that happen so, for sure yeah um it's kind of like what i talked about on uh our previous episode about like waterfowl hunting is um mm-hmm. it's a very specific subset of gear and equipment um and deer hunting is too but in a very different way um and you know if we had more listeners someone would bust my balls on this but geographically speaking duck hunting and waterfowl hunting in general is a lot more uh geographically uh restrained um Mm -hmm. like we live in the state of the duck hunting capital of the world uh in arkansas our area of arkansas yeah our area of arkansas geographically speaking as far as duck hunting goes shit yeah like pretty much we're in the middle like you got to go five hours east or five hours west and you can get to good duck hunting but yeah well i don't know like so and this will kind of segue i guess into my background in hunting Mm -hmm. and stuff but um like fort gibson wma over by like wagner and Mm -hmm. shoto and like that whole area um kind of like once you get out of the hills that kind of so here's how like here's how i put it basically and my dad and my brother talk about this all the time but you have like if you go north uh like an hour like past um joplin where it starts to kind of flatten Mm -hmm. out there's good duck hunting yeah uh if you go Mm -hmm. south of fayetteville to fort smith there's good duck hunting so you basically draw a line from like shoto oklahoma over to the west um basically like past berryville and um that area to the east you start getting over into like Jonesboro and um, Walnut Ridge and that area. There's great waterfowl hunting to the east. Or you go, uh, like you can get into some pretty decent duck hunting down in uh, Fort Smith, even though it's still pretty hilly because you have the river that goes through there. Um, mm-hmm. But then if you go west out of Fort Smith over to like Spiro and that area, there's pretty good duck hunting. And then, um, you know, if you go over to central, south central Arkansas, um, you know, you've got Bayou Mido, 
um, then you have Stuttgart, which is the duck hunting capital of the world. Like there's mm-hmm. great duck hunting. It's just literally the flyways, the central and the Mississippi flyway literally just split about an hour north of us and kind of bow out to the east and west and then come back together mm-hmm. like, you know, an hour and a half hour and 40 minutes south of us. Um, relatively yeah. speaking, obviously the duck hunting in the, uh, the, uh, winding stair mountains or is the old folks call them, but the, uh, like broken bow area and stuff is obviously non-existent, but, um, but yeah, it so, also depends on the year and the weather too. Oh yeah, sometimes absolutely. They're further west or further east, and yeah, the one year I went to Stuttgart, it was not a good year for ducks. Um, if there's no water and, in Stuttgart, yeah. there's no ducks. Point blank. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty much what was going on. But yeah, because um, it's all flooded. Yeah. I mean, there's some ag, but most of why Stuttgart is so attractive, and there's outliers to this too, but. Uh, it's a lot of rice, like a ton yeah. of rice. Um, yeah, it's not which, only the duck capital of the world, it's also the rice capital of the world. Right, which kind of go hand in hand. So you got to have water for rice and you got to have water for ducks. Um, mm-hmm. So when those two both mix, you have a fantastic habitat. Um, and it's managed as a duck habitat. So uh, yeah. that helps a lot too. Um, but... You know, like when I duck hunted in high school or like around here, man, it was like, it was a grind to get on birds around here. I mean, we did it, Mm -hmm. but you had to know, I mean, the amount of like networking and like knocking on doors around like the Maysville area, which is God bless Maysville, one of the like only flat areas around here, um, Mm -hmm. And then you, every now and then, like there's off of 72 out there in Centerton by the water towers. When that Mm -hmm. guy used to plant corn there, um, there's two ponds on either side of the road and that would be really good for geese. Um, and we did okay there. I mean, but it was like, it was really, 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 really hard, um, to get on birds or ducks and geese around here you could get on some ponds where you knew there was some like resident geese and stuff and, and do pretty well, but mm-hmm. everything around here is private land. Like there's no public land around here unless you go out towards like the lake. Mm-hmm. And I know guys that hunt Beaver Lake, but none of them like hunting Beaver Lake. Like it's, it's yeah. really dumb. Cause the, there's no flooded timber really. Cause it's all in a Valley. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, and it's the valleys that, do flood they've pretty much cleared right yeah it's not great it's pretty bad around here but a lot of the guys that i know around here that duck hunt have boats and they go to ufala or um or uh they go over to like fort gibson and vertigris and hunt the river channel or the navigation channel and hunt Mm -hmm. the wmas and stuff over there which um I guess I'll kind of segue that into my background. Um, so my very first experience hunting was when I was really young, probably, I don't know. I had to have been probably four or five 
Um, and we went over to, so my dad grew up in Tulsa his whole life. So he knows Tulsa, but honestly, Oklahoma in general, like the back of his hand. Um, and so he grew up, um, duck hunting and dove hunting and stuff down in Fort Gibson. Cause they could leave the house, you know, Saturday morning and it would literally take them 30 minutes to get over there. Um, mm-hmm. so super close for them out of Tulsa. And, um, my dad took us dove hunting and I say that very lightly, <laughs> uh, dove hunting in air quotes, um, over by Fort Gibson in Wagner. And, uh, it rained most of the day, like hard. Um, and I don't know for any of you that know anything about dove hunting, rain is terrible for dove hunting. Um, dove like it hot and dry. So definitely not the ideal, uh, conditions and would have probably been better served just staying home. But I think, um, my dad was just so excited to get us out and kind of start that experience. Um, so it rained most of the day. And so mostly we just ended up driving around, uh, splashing through puddles, puddles on the, on the dirt roads and, and my dad's forerunner, which honestly for a four or five year old kid was equally as fun. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that was, the first time I ever shot a gun, um, I think I, like, I can't remember a time before that. So that was probably the first time, um, and shot my dad's, uh, Remington 1120 gauge best gun that's ever been made in my opinion. Um, well, the I mean, older, the older its, ones in its day, in its day, it was top notch. Yeah. I think now still to this day, like you give me a 1980s, uh, Remington 1100, uh, 12 gauge. Mm -hmm. I'll shoot it all day long. Like the only crappy part is they didn't have like the choke system like they do now. So you'd have to change out Mm -hmm. the actual barrels, but like just overall good gun. Oh my gosh. Like Mm -hmm. those things are my first. My first trap shooting gun was a Remington 1100 12 gauge and we got it used because my dad didn't know how long I would hold interest in this. Right. And uh, so I think we spent like 400 bucks on it. Yeah. And it was from like the sixties. And so it's a really old gun. We bought a barrel, a new barrel with interchangeable chokes and you know, all was well for the first three years and we would shoot over probably 2000 rounds a weekend. Oh yeah. Um, and then sometimes during the week, just depending on what our practice schedule was. Yeah. And I shot that gun so much that in the middle of one of our rounds for practice, I saw fire come out of where the gas comes out and then the gun, <laughs> the gun never worked again. Oh, and man. that was, that was one week before our competition. Yeah. And so that day, we ran up to Cabela's and we bought a new shotgun and I was like, I like that one. And it was a Benelli. Of course. And my dad's yeah. like, really? That one? Why not this one? And I was like, cause I like that one. Yeah. Cause so. it says Benelli on it, dad. And the yeah. duck commander guys shoot Benelli. So I have to have Benelli. Yeah. Uh-huh. We all went but through it. I haven't had any complaints with that shotgun 
any no. shells I've ran through at light loads for practice or heavy uh, turkey loads, not an issue. What so, Benelli do you have? It's the Monofeltro. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's page. a solid gun. Yeah. I'm Dude, I love like, my, uh, my Supernova. Like, mm-hmm. I will never get rid of that gun simply because I've never had it not... Like, it's a pump. So, on really, really, really cold, wet days, I'm taking that gun over an automatic any day because it's not going to have issues cycling like it's not going to jam up on you i mean i've had it jam up on me before Mm -hmm. but i was shooting three and a half inch bb and the wind chill that day was negative 10 degrees so like i don't care what gun you have out there you're gonna have cycling issues Mm -hmm. um and they would have been way worse with with an automatic uh I'm going to sound like that guy, but the Monofeltro yeah. has the same uh, internals as the Super Black Eagle, and it's yeah. also got the same choke system. And so right. it's basically a Super Black Eagle minus the price tag, and it's got well, a and it's made to be lighter, it. too, because it's made to be more yeah. of like a trap slash upland gun, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's but a solid gun. I really like it. I haven't had any jams with it ever, which is amazing. Um, yeah, that's pretty impressive. So, yeah, sponsor us, Spinelli. Perfected. Yeah, please. <laughs> We'd like some SPE threes, please. Yeah, with the uh, I like that two tone, uh, like two tone with the uh, Gore Optifade and the uh, that like FD Cerakote receiver and mm-hmm. barrel. Oh, yeah. That's the one Logan wants. I want the one that's Cryptek uh, Forest Green. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty legit. So, yeah. uh, anyways, um, that was like my that quote unquote dove hunt over there was like kind of my first experience with that. I don't really remember liking it or not liking it because like we didn't shoot anything, so there was really no like grasp on reality of killing an animal per se i think Mm -hmm. mostly the reason i enjoyed it was it was something i had never done before it got me out of the house on a saturday and i was spending time with my dad like i think i don't really remember disliking it but i don't remember it being like oh my gosh that was amazing you know Mm -hmm. um but then sometime later i don't i mean it was probably around the same time give or take a year Um, my family has property in Oklahoma, um, which we're actually closer to now since we moved from Tulsa. Um, so it's great, but we would go over there and see my grandparents a lot. Um, and my dad, you know, grew up going out there and lived there for, let's see, at least like close to a decade of his life with his grandparents, probably five to 10 years. I know that's a wide gap, but dad lived Mm -hmm. out there with his grandparents and, um, had grown up, you know, God bless freaking back in his day, they could quail hunt out there. There's no quail out there anymore, but, uh, Mm -hmm. jumping ponds for ducks. And, um, for those of you that don't know what that means, basically, um, what you're doing is you're sneaking up on like most, if not all farm ponds have a higher bank on one side, because that's the 
direction in which the water grades do, which then keeps the pond full. So basically it involves sneaking up and around that pond on like the high side of the bank of the pond and then jumping up um, and shooting the ducks off the pond, which is kind of fun because it's like if you can't see the pond first, like there's some ponds out there that we jump and we could see from like a distance if we could get a vantage point, like if there were ducks on it or not. Um, mm-hmm. So that was fun because it's like, hey, man, like I know there's going to be ducks on it when we get up there. But then the other part about it that was fun is like you never knew what was going to be on there. Like if you couldn't see the water or hear them before you got up to it, like if it was a windy day and you couldn't hear any birds or whatever on it, you could jump up the, on that pond. It might be a bunch of greenheads. It might be gadwall. There might be geese on it. Like you never knew what was going to be on there. So it's kind of fun. Um, so sometime a year or so after that little dove hunt experience, um, we went out there and jumped ponds and, uh, we still have a picture of this. I wish we could, I wish this was a video podcast cause it'd be <laughs> really funny. Um, I'm in like camo and like bright yellow rain boots, um, which is funny now because it, like that Ron White bit about his uh, nephew that's in the uh, the Special Olympics that competed in yellow uh, rain boots. That mm-hmm. he called him the Yellow Blur. <laughs> now I make a joke about that. I call myself the Yellow Blur when I see that picture. But my dad shot a Drake Mallard, which is the most iconic uh, duck or bird by far. Um, yeah. So that was pretty cool. Like that was my first like hunting so to speak, where something was harvested and um, I got to hold it and touch it and it was like tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really neat. And we did that quite a bit. Um, even like my dad kind of used that for us as like training. Um, like when we got our first BB guns, which would have been shortly after that first duck experience, cause I know I was begging the crap out of him for one. Um, he would, we would go out there and jump ponds and he'd make us carry our BB guns and he would make us act like, you know, Hey, the, these are a real gun, you know, don't point mm-hmm. at anything that you don't want to kill, you know, keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to fire don't turn the safety off until you're ready to fire like barrel awareness, barrel flagging, like all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did that quite a bit just cause he kind of used that as an opportunity to kind of, um, bring us up around hunting. Um, and then didn't really, my dad grew up bird hunting, like quail hunting and duck hunting. Um, never really deer hunted, And, uh, after we moved over to Northwest Arkansas from Tulsa in 2006, like everyone around here deer hunted. Like when we live in Tulsa, Mm -hmm. everyone bird hunted. Yeah. When we moved over here, everyone deer hunted, like everybody, like if you were decently or if you were somewhat quote unquote country, uh, or not just a complete city slicker, you at least deer hunted once a year with your father-in-law or your dad or your brother or your brother-in-law or your, like somebody took you deer hunting at least once. Um, yeah. and so that was like pretty foreign to me. I had never deer hunted. I 
was probably 13 by the time I first started deer hunting. And I mean, I had friends that, I mean, dude, they were popping deer when they were like five years old with, you know, mm-hmm. like a little 243 or something. Um, and what, what made it even better or more of a cool experience I should say was, um, Stephen Fuller with, uh, the hunting grounds was my middle school science teacher. And like, that was the time where he was literally just starting the hunting grounds, like filming it with like a VHS, like camcorder um like self-filming hunts and stuff like that so he would literally like show us his hunting videos in class which is freaking sweet um and he'd like he'd bring his dehydrators in and like make deer jerky for us and like so that kind of like lit the fire under my ass a little bit to like want a deer hunt um Mm -hmm. and uh so my dad took his deer hunting out at the family land and uh bless his heart <laughs> it was kind of the blind leading the blind a little bit um because he had never really deer hunted like he had deer hunted uh he told me he went through a stint uh in his like early 20s where you know he bought a bow and you know was gonna get into deer hunting and everything and uh just didn't really i guess get into it um but i don't i would be honest for as much as I love deer hunting now, I hated deer hunting. Like, mm-hmm. because the first few times we went, we were extremely underprepared, had no idea what we were doing. Um, froze our butts off. Cause it's not like we were going in bow season where it's still kind of warm. Like it was rifle season, like cold, didn't have enough clothes on freezing our butts off super. And you know, I'm like 12 years old or 13. I'm super impatient. Um, and I like, I remember it was, I think the first time my dad took us out, we sat down and we were doing like how everyone starts deer hunting. You literally put on your Carhartt bibs, an orange vest and an orange hat, and you just sit under a tree and wait for a deer. Well, we mm-hmm. didn't see anything. So we started, you know, spotting, stalking and just driving around. And we walked through like this clearing and there's this big old eight point, probably less than a hundred yards for sure. And I was using like this 243 brake action with the scope on it that I'd borrowed from my uncle freaking get down on a knee, miss him. And the dumbass deer just stands there. Like <laughs> just literally doesn't move. And my brother's like, Oh, let me try. Let me try. Boom. Misses him. So two people miss him. He runs off and I'm like, F this. I deer hunting stupid. I I'm, I'm never doing this crap ever. Um, Mm -hmm. but then, you know, kept going and I think I was like 15 when I got my first deer. Um, and it was like tiny. I mean, it was a buck, but it was, you know, like a little tiny, I think technically it was like a five point, but not Mm -hmm. tall at all. And just very vertical on the rack. That one was pretty funny. Actually, my dad was. I kid you not standing underneath the tree stand, taking a piss. <laughs> and it's like that time in the morning where the sun's coming up and you're starting to get warm a little bit, you know, and you're like getting kind of sleepy. And he goes, Logan, Logan. And I was like, what? He's like right there, turn around. So I had to like turn around backwards in the tree stand, which was kind of stupid. Cause I was using a 30, 30 at that point. 
and mm-hmm. easily could have shot myself out of the tree um, mm-hmm. if I wasn't being careful. But ended up getting that one. And then the very next year was when I kind of started like hunting by myself, so to speak. Like not by myself, but to where like I was 16, so I didn't have to have someone with me. Um, but like my brother and my dad would hunt on the opposite side of the property and I would hunt, you know, on the adjacent hill. Um, Mm -hmm. and I got my first like decent deer the next year. So it has been like 16 and it was like, I hadn't been in the stand 30 minutes and it walked out and I saw it had eight points and I pulled the trigger and shot. And, um, that was that, um, and then didn't really have a whole lot of success since then until like the last, well, last year, because it was just like every time I went out there, it just kind of half-assed and I, you know, really got into duck hunting. Like that, the duck hunting bug was what bit me the most. Like that's what mm-hmm. I really got into. Yeah. Um, but ever since then, until this last year, uh, I didn't really enjoy deer hunting or not that I didn't enjoy it. I just didn't have time. Like deer hunting mm-hmm. takes a lot more time and preparation than I think people might think that it does. Um, especially if you're deer hunting on land, that's not managed for deer per se. Um, so that was a huge test of patience for me last year. Um, like I got a really nice buck, my best buck ever, uh, the evening of opening day of bow season last year. And I was extremely thankful for that, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. So enough about me for a minute. Um, what are your kind of, what are your favorite pursuits in the outdoors currently? Like right now, what are you, um, into the most? Bella, we hear you. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what she's barking at. There's nobody here. But uh yeah, so currently fly fishing. I know we hit that one pretty hard. Yeah, um, love it. Yeah. Finally, after ten years of going fishing at least twice a year, I have finally caught finally broke the curse and caught some fish not fly fishing i will add but yeah but broke the curse nonetheless yeah now i can go fly fishing and hopefully catch something yeah um anyway uh so that's like a current thing and then in the past i've done some deer hunting but i really wasn't like that into it i just thought it would be the cool thing to do that was a bad voice crack Um, sorry everyone (laughs) yeah (laughs) and uh (laughs) so when i was like 14 or 15 we my dad and i were deer hunting on our uh farm and i fell asleep inside my bow case (laughs) what yeah so i had one of like soft bow cases oh like the zip up ones yeah that's so so funny that's how i carried the bow out to hunt on our property i didn't just carry the bow that's Um, so funny and so that's what i was sitting on like to be comfortable because we're just sitting in the middle of a field basically and right come to find out the biggest buck my dad had ever seen on that property walked out like 20 yards while i was asleep dang 
yeah and he was trying to get my attention because he was like 20 feet away from me so he was like throwing stuff at me and oh my god i was just snoozing away so that's funny i wasn't really into it that much but um yeah this year i plan to go deer hunting with you and your brother if he can uh get out of the house a little bit he says he's gonna hunt a lot this year but i have my doubts about that one yeah i think he's gonna um, have his hands pretty tied yeah so yeah i do too but maybe next year he and stetson can come out that would be bad ass like that would be super cool yeah as long honestly like if you're bow hunting there's really no like loud noise that would scare mm-hmm. him as long as he's warm yeah and you're Here in a ground him. blind so that you're not having to climb you know a tree stand yeah. like yeah. dude money yeah I although think he'd it'll probably it. be pretty whiny and antsy but i don't know we'll yeah. see i mean we'll just maybe see, by that but... time we'll have the uh farmhouse set up to where mm-hmm. if it it you know if it doesn't work out he can just take him up to the house and give him back to the girls <laughs> uh-huh yeah but but uh yeah i'm excited for this year man yeah i am too i think the main goal for me this year with deer hunting is i mean other than to get a deer um but i think the drive behind that is like harvesting food from the land yeah Um, not just having like store-bought or um my wife and I bought like a quarter of a cow this year, which mm-hmm. was cool. Um, yeah. But just to have some more food that's like from the ground, because we've grown probably 25 pounds of fresh produce in our garden. Yeah, this y'all's year. garden is pretty impressive. When I was coming by there, when y'all were out of town to, uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, feed the chickens and stuff, like your garden looked really good. Your chick, your chicken coop was, that was a really cool, like the way you built that with the door on the back of it, that way you didn't have to like go through the entire coop just to like check their mm-hmm. food and stuff. And like, yeah. guys, this man had freaking had the water on like a timer, like a hose yeah. running to the, like this guy's got it all automated, uh, which yeah. to be I, fair is what you do for a living. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it so makes sense. My, part of my job is like running irrigation systems on big farms, which is like, yeah at least 100 acres to 500 acres of irrigated ground so you're constantly switching where the irrigation is going remotely right but you know technology yeah i left (laughs) the water running for an entire day one day in the garden and so my whole yard was flooded when i got home oh yeah so that's kind of what um pushed me to get the automated timer and uh-huh. i got one with two outputs and you can there set you each one for a different time that's so i was like you know i only have like one section of garden so i'm just gonna put the other one in the chicken coop yeah so there you go yeah so that's so pretty we're cool chickens for eggs and hopefully meat soon if they reproduce by themselves but we'll see yeah um, but that's like deer hunting is kind of like I want to enjoy time with friends and I know we've got other guys going as well, but yeah. just having that time outdoors and relaxing early in the morning and in God's yeah. creation, like that's some of the most enjoyable time that you're ever going to spend on this earth. And well, at least for us, yeah. um, other people may not agree, but I think yeah. if they, 
had a little bit of an open mind, they might change their mind. But yeah, and you know, and speaking of like the act, like the meat side of it, mm-hmm. with the exception of deer corn, like you're eating an animal and you're eating meat that has zero antibiotics, zero hormones, zero, you know, most cows, even if it, even if they're grass fed, the majority of times it's false advertising. They might be grass fed, but they're typically grain finished. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they produce more yield at the, uh, slaughterhouses. Um, yeah. But like you're talking about the most nutritious, rich, organic meat that nature has to offer. With the exception of things out West like elk and bison and, you know, that kind of thing. Like there's, and deer meat's good. Like it it does for Mm -hmm. people that, I would honestly say people that haven't hunted before are more likely to enjoy venison than people that have hunted before um because like when i like when i eat deer meat i compare it to everything else that like i eat whereas Mm -hmm. if you go into it with an open mind it has a different texture than beef unless you you know do ground deer meat um which i enjoy like taking some brisket fat and grinding it up in there for spaghetti and lasagnas and things like that but um like the texture's just different enough from beef that you can tell a difference um if you age your meat right it usually isn't tough usually isn't gamey but is still going to have a different, like if you go into it expecting it to taste like beef, you're going to be disappointed, you know? Yeah. But if you go into it with an open mind and commit to enjoying it, it really is some of the best meat you can have. Um, yeah. And a lot of people have had, you know, their crazy uncle's overcooked backstrap that's tough and gamey or, you know, something like that. Like, and especially with duck too, like I actually enjoy eating duck meat. Um, but a lot of people hate it. They say it tastes like liver and it's chewy. And I was like, well, how'd you cook it? Or how did they cook it? Oh, it was, you know, gray all the way through. No. Duck, you cook medium rare or else it's gross, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's the understanding of how to cook it too and, and the preparation. But anyways, yeah. yeah, like I'm excited, man. It's going to be, um, you know, I've kind of shared or let me let me backtrack on that. I haven't had anyone to share in the camaraderie of deer hunting Mm -hmm. um, for a long time because my dad's a big uh, bird hunter. He doesn't really enjoy deer hunting. I think he's gotten more into it now because it's something that like we can do together. Um, And so he, he does enjoy it and like is getting into it now, but like, um, around here, there's not a ton of public land to hunt. So people that don't own land, it's hard for them to deer hunt. Um, and the public land that is around here, like it's not good at all. Yeah. Um, it's I also mean, if you want to populated with hunters who yeah. are trying their best, but 
and whenever you're in like a public area you've got some that aren't trying their best and they're not they're as respectful idiots. of yeah. the land as they should be right and so that kind of ruins it for those who hold themselves to a higher standard yeah and it's hard to like and that's I'm going to sound like a snob here. I'm extremely blessed and very fortunate to have the resource that I do. Um, you know, I've duck hunted public land for waterfowl, you know, more times than I can count. Um, mm-hmm. But I just don't enjoy... Uh, I would, honestly, if I didn't have the land that I do, would probably try to find, you know, half a dozen guys or three or four guys, something like that to lease something just Mm -hmm. so that like, even if it wasn't my own land, just to get away from the, like there are a lot of people that deer hunt public land that are genuinely trying to get into it or maybe don't, aren't as educated on deer hunting or maybe don't know what they're doing, which you've got to learn somehow. Right. But there's mm-hmm. equally as many people that are just complete idiots um, that make deer hunting public land not enjoyable at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But uh, I think for me, um, as far as like currently what I'm into, just geographically speaking, I've kind of hung up the the uh oh what's the word kind of just hung up the uh jacket on um duck hunting around here like it's just with being an adult and having a full-time job and stuff like you kind of have to weigh like your time versus experience Mm -hmm. um return there and for me the time and effort in which I would have to spend around here to duck hunt for mediocre at best duck hunting to me is just not worth it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got a dog. I bought for duck hunting, trained her myself to duck hunt. Like, and bless her heart. She probably misses it as much as I do. Um, like I lived but for this. like, yeah, but, um, you know, she loves deer camp equally as much because she literally oh, yeah. doesn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and she can make laps around the pond and take her morning swims. Um, yeah. But uh, deer hunting for me is, as much as I love the hunting, it's just become such a point of camaraderie. Like, yeah. uh, you know, last year uh, when I shot that really nice eight point, Bryce and I went out there. And originally, like, my dad was going to come and Evan was going to come. But my dad ended up having to have knee surgery. Um, And then Evan, I don't even know. I can't remember what his excuse was. It was probably something something very valid and important nonetheless. But um, not throwing shade or anything. But uh, so anyways, it started off as literally just me and Bryce. Uh, or that's who ended up being able to go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he had gone with me the year before and we, it was bad. Like we were kind of just pissing into the wind on that one. No preparation really. Um, but this last year did a lot of preparation and 
being very pointed about where we were hanging stands and, you know, trying to scout really well. I would say last season was the most I've ever learned about hunting in my entire life. Um, to actually go out there and be successful. Um, and like to put it in perspective, I shot that buck opening evening of bow season or evening of opening day. Mm-hmm. And I hunted at least once a week, unless we were out of town, at least once a week from October 1st through January 15th and killed one deer. Mm-hmm. Granted, most of those times... I was waiting on another buck. And so I passed on a lot of opportunities on smaller bucks or does. Um, But then when it came down to it and I was trying to fill tags, just like it's hard. Well, bow hunting is hard. Bow hunting is really hard. And when you've committed to bow hunting as being your like primary and only method of harvest, it's extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, just the wind and stand placement. And like, I learned so much. So that was cool. But just the camaraderie of like, it started as Bryce and I, then by the evening I had invited you and you'd came out there and then Dre had come out there and oh my gosh, freaking Dre slept in the back of his truck that <laughs> night and it rained like, well, you didn't camp that night, did you? You ended up going no, back. I I went home, but I wanted to yeah. stay just for like education purposes because you right. shot a deer and then Dre was helping you like clean it and everything. And yeah, he made you do most of the work, but I know he pulled the which was tape good because, because like yeah, I like just I wanted to learn how to do it because I had never done that before or been around anyone right. who had harvested a deer, um, at least like. Mm-hmm recently enough to watch them dress it like that so right that was kind of my educational year yeah and that was um that brings up a good point too because like that that deer camp was fun bryce is wanting to get into deer hunting and this is like a kid that a kid (laughs) he's my age a guy that i've known since i was in second grade so would Mm -hmm. consider him like a brother um well, I mean, I'm going to be the best man in his wedding. So obviously he thinks highly enough of me despite my dumbassery. Um, but like he's wanting to get into it. So that was cool for me to be able to share that with him. And even cooler was to be able to take my brother out there, put him on his first deer that he had ever killed and mm-hmm. then show him how to clean a deer, which is like, a lot of people, and if you know Evan, like you know this about him, like a lot of people would have like really had to put their ego aside in that moment and probably tried to fake his way through acting like he knew how to clean a deer. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't. Like he just kind of set his pride aside and was just like there to learn. And so that was a really cool experience for me to be able to like show him how to do something that like he didn't know how to do, which is kind of a rare experience to be able to have at 
20 i guess i was 24 at the time and he was 22 mm-hmm. like that's a pretty rare thing at like that point in life to be able to teach my brother something that he didn't already know yeah. and in a lot of senses like there's a lot of things that he's taught me because of like the way he's geared and the way his mind works and his maturity level mm-hmm. um especially like financially speaking and like investments and things like that like my brother's more financially minded than I am. Um, whether that's with regards to real estate or investing or budgeting, like he's just really good with that stuff. So I've learned a lot from him. So it was kind of cool to be able to like, Hey, here's something that I feel like I've kind of mastered. And I say that in a light sense, like I've killed three deer total in my life. So like, I'm not sitting here pretending to be a master of it, but like Mm -hmm. something that I feel like I'm, good enough at to share with someone else. Um, so that's, was just pretty cool. Like just the camaraderie of that. And, you know, we're looking forward to that this year of hopefully having, you know, at least four or five guys out there, um, at deer camp and just like that time that you get to spend with one another. There's no deadlines. There's no, I've got to be at the office by this time or that time or, like it's just so relaxing and refreshing to just be able to um, get out there and do. Yeah. So um, a question I had for you, Zach, was just to kind of like guide this conversation along a little bit. Um, how is how has hunting and or the outdoors made you a more capable uh, man? Yeah, I mean, I think what you were talking about with your experience with Evan, just like being able to set your uh, pride aside and learn from other people, um, yep. whether that's, you know, cleaning a deer or cleaning a fish. Um, when I was probably 10-ish, I went, we went fishing with my dad and some of his friends and we caught a bunch of fish and we were going to cook them for dinner. And up until that point, he generally did all of the cooking and cleaning of the fish. And so I didn't really know like the process of it, but he taught me how to do it and kind of set me loose on three people's limit of fish. And, um, so he helped show me how to make, like take a fish from in the water to on the hook to cleaned and ready to be in the frying pan, which was really cool um, to just have that experience with my dad. And uh, so that's, you know, just passing those experiences on from father to son or friend to friend or however that looks. Um, I mean, it just helps people be more capable overall. Uh, And then the patience that's required for hunting or fishing or really mastering any activity, but especially outdoor activities like shooting, dirt bike riding, uh, kayaking or whatever that looks like for you. But um, just the patience involved in going through that really helps to give you tools in your toolbox to make you a more capable man. Um, and then 
I would say that being in the outdoors, at least for myself and I know for Logan as well, um, that's like, that's where we find God. Um, and that's where we can spend the most and the best time with him. Um, so that really helps us not only desire that time spent in the outdoors, but also to really uh, strengthen our relationships. And I know hunting season's like a third of the year maybe, but you can fish year round. You can practice shooting year round or anything like that. Yeah. um, You can spend a lot of time with God in the outdoors and just improve your walk there. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. You've touched on this um, and we've touched on this in a previous episode of just like Mm -hmm. that, like for me when I'm in, there's different types of hunting, like duck hunting is the, the camaraderie is fun because you're usually in a blind or, Mm -hmm. or standing in flooded timber and duck hunting is one of those pursuits in which you don't have to be, a hundred percent quiet until, you know, the birds start working. Yeah. Um, so the camaraderie of that's fun. The camaraderie of deer camp is fun. Um, but there's also times where you're out there by yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's just, you know, you can't, I mean, I guess you could sit there and play games on your phone or text or scroll social media or whatever, but I try to be pretty pointed about, the only reason I have my phone with me when I'm hunting is that if God forbid there was a, an emergency. Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean, you know, and if you were, you know, backcountry hunting or something like that, Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't have cell service. Like there's, you know, you might have a sat phone or something like that. If you know, war, like worst case scenario. Um, but, when I'm in a tree stand and I'm being mindful about not being on, excuse me, not being on my phone, there's nowhere I can run to or escape to in my mind to address, um, or to not address the issues that Mm -hmm. I have going on or things that I'm struggling with or something that I'm trying to think through. Like, I think in that sense, it makes you a better man because it facilitates the opportunity to be able to be in that headspace. Mm -hmm. But I think too, um, I think as men, we need to be doing whatever we can to try and uh, move the needle. And if you've never been hunting, you won't know this. Maybe you can probably get a good idea though of, um, just the way that it challenges you, like yeah. there's, and there's a part of that too, that's so like beautiful is that you're subjecting yourself to that challenge. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like where you like in life, whether it's marriage or, um, your faith or, you know, like there's obviously you have to choose areas to show up in that. But sometimes in life, there's things out of our control that we're forced to deal with or that are challenges, maybe a health issue or, you know, something like that. Hunting is one of those things where 
you're willingly subjecting yourself to adversity. Yeah. And that's something that we've talked about in our guys group about, Hey, are, you know, we need to be looking for these more and looking harder and seeking out these opportunities to, um, willingly choose adversity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just something that I love so much about hunting. Um, as frustrating as it can be sometimes, it's just that challenge. Yeah. Um, I think you can find adversity in a lot of different things, but I think specifically with hunting or fishing, it's a very primal form of adversity Mm -hmm. because uh, humans were not designed to go to Walmart for all of their food. Um, No. Hot take there, but... um, Eh, whatever. Yeah, whatever. If you don't like that, don't listen to our podcast. This won't be the first time we offend you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Walmart is not generally the source of all food for everybody in the whole world and uh especially outside well not even outside of our country uh alaska being a very good example of that yeah Um, i mean sorry most people in alaska for example uh they fish and hunt all summer long so that they have food in the winter life yeah, that's like the way their life to. works. They have to, or they'll die. Um, yeah, and so, like here in Northwest Arkansas, where Walmart is headquartered, we have a Woo-hoo! unique uh, opportunity to go to the store every five minutes if we want to. Um, oh, and every dude. five miles down the road, there's another store, and every corner there's a neighborhood market. Yeah, which and- is super convenient don't uh-huh. get me wrong i love it but yeah yeah but you know it makes us more capable men when we say you know what i could go get this from the store and provide for my family or you know i could go hunting and provide for my family right and yeah and i think sorry go ahead i mean you know i think this year has showed at least a lot of people that food oh, yeah. is not always going to be available at the store because it's available. It's well, definitely in some available, cases, but you're probably dude. not getting what you came to the store to get. Exactly. You're settling for a lower quality yeah. product and yep. it's very expensive and you're getting less of it for more money. So that's something that I think is interesting. Um, and <laughs> as Andy and DJ say on, uh, on real AF, I'm going to be loyal to the foil here for a second. <laughs> um, something that was interesting when in early 2020, when COVID hit, um, people lost their minds over toilet paper. Uh huh. You couldn't get it on the shelves. It was, um, you know, supply chain was bad. You know, we're first starting to deal with the pandemic. Um, our pandemic response wasn't great. Um, and Spillers, people huh? were losing their minds over, to- over toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> imagine, uh, you know, I can go, if toilet paper ceased to exist tomorrow, I can find something to wipe my ass with. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's okay. a very uh, convenient for, 
object or get a bidet yeah. like worse you know get a bidet that's mm-hmm. not even worst case scenario worst case scenario is you're having to wipe with a sock you know <laughs> and, and wash that sock and wash right yeah um so worst case scenario is you're wiping with socks and bandanas but then when you're wiping with socks and bandanas you're not gonna be able to find socks and bandanas at the store uh-huh. you know it's a trickle down effect so get yeah. a bidet i guess if yeah. the toilet paper thing goes to crap again hot pun um so people's response to that was pretty irrational to mm-hmm. say the least riddle me this when 10,000 cattle just overnight died in South Central Kansas you think that was an accident because of a heat wave no no it was just as hot or hotter at my property where we have cattle Mm-hmm. Not a single cow died. Yeah. Not a one. And no a one people... around us had it. No, no one around us had cattle yeah. die. No one. A lot of people are trying to say that it was a immediate heat wave that hit Kansas, but it really wasn't. It was pretty much that temperature the week before. Yes, the temperature went up a little bit, but right. there's really not enough evidence to solidify that that was a heat wave related issue so Um, yeah and in conjunction with that you have that avian flu crap going on in iowa where they literally kill millions of chickens yeah that happened across pretty much the entire country they killed the last number i heard which is not a current up-to-date number but it was 50 million something chickens um which is insane you know, the droughts in the Southwest, well, South and West and North and everywhere basically yeah. this year until this week where everybody flooded. Um, yeah. The government told farmers to kill their crops in the year that right. Ukraine Ukrainian grain has been held captive by Russia all year long. And we're just now seeing ships leave the port with different grain. So. Right. And now we can. Now you have, I don't know if you've seen this or not. Nicole Kidman was, did this thing where they're pushing people on quote unquote alternative proteins. Uh huh. You know what alternative proteins are referring to? Soybeans. Bugs. Yeah. Crickets and bugs. Yeah. Not. Not lentils and tofu and and uh, vegan bugs. Yeah, they're glorifying eating bugs. And oh well, people in third world countries, you know, it's a normalcy for them to eat bugs. Yeah, it is a normalcy to, for them to eat bugs because they live in overthrown governments where if someone steals their goat or their chickens or their chickens die or. God forbid you eat all your chickens. Now you don't have anything left and you're in a war-torn country. Of course you have to eat effing bugs Uh because there's nothing else for you to eat because your government's turned... The government is either non-existent or is oppressive to their people. Okay. I say all that to say... uh, All those things are not a coincidence that happened in our country. I will never starve. Because as long as I'm 
willing and able and physically able to do so. I don't care if it's deer season or not. I'll go kill a deer if it means my family gets to survive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get it. Hunting's not for everybody. But my dad, from the soonest that we were able to conceive of the fact of what hunting meant, you didn't kill anything that you didn't plan on eating. Yeah. Like, if you kill it, you eat it. Mm-hmm. Now, there were times in my teen in my teenage years where I was reckless and, you know, went squirrel hunting and shot a bunch of squirrels and didn't eat them because I don't want to well, eat squirrel. They're not. You know, really if good it came down to it, yourself, they're better for scavengers to eat. At the end of the day, yeah, so. yeah, call it that. Yeah. Um, but like, I'll never go hungry because I've chosen to hone a skill in which I can go harvest meat and be relatively self-sustaining if I had to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just choosing to hone a skill and to take ownership in a craft that challenges you and pushes you. And I mean, there's a lot to be said for subjecting yourself to immense frustration and disappointment. I mean, I had the biggest, biggest buck I've ever seen in my entire life at 50 something yards. And because I hadn't practiced shooting out to 50 yards with my bow, I wasn't going to take the shot. Um, you know, it, which is my fault, right? I should have mm-hmm. been better at shooting my bow that I felt confident enough to take a shot at 50 yards. I tried to rattle him in. I tried to grunt him in. Nothing worked. And he casually walked off, never to be seen again. Like, the amount of frustration and experience like that will bring you and bring you literally to your knees and disappointment and frustration with yourself, the fact that you choose to go out again the next day and do it, is just I think something there's something so that just builds so much character around mm-hmm. that. Um, along those lines, guys, I do have a recommendation for a book. Uh, we've talked about it briefly, but um, Endure by Cameron Haynes. Um, if y'all haven't read that, I cannot I literally cannot recommend it enough. Um, the guy's a freaking animal. Um, really good at what he does because he spends so much time perfecting it. Um, but you know, if you, maybe if you aren't into hunting or don't know a lot about hunting, um, I think would be a good read for y'all to kind of understand, um, someone who obsesses over perfection and can also embrace failure, um, and why, you know, people, crazy people like us spend so much time, um, doing that. So, mm-hmm. um, I'll take my tinfoil hat off and, uh, we'll move on here. <laughs> I mean, we could talk kinda... all day about what's going on in supply chain issues oh, and agriculture, man. but we may need to save that. Yeah, for which podcast. I think is really overlooked. Um, because like a lot of people, the supply chain, they think of, you know, uh, hard lines, um, and like raw materials mm-hmm. like steel and, and that kind of thing. But, um, <laughs> it just reminds me of that 
those bumper stickers, you know, that you see rolling around on old Codger's truck that say, you know, did you eat today? Thank a farmer, you mm-hmm. know, or, you know, thank a trucker. Like people have just become so detached from the reality of where their food actually comes from. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so because I know hopefully, you know, most of our avid listeners right now are either, uh, my, siblings, parents, parents of in-laws and stuff like that, that know about hunting or have hunted. Um, but my hope is that when this podcast gets big, um, that people will hopefully come back to these, uh, early episodes and give them a listen. And, um, maybe we'll, uh, maybe this will reach someone from you guys sharing this, um, that hasn't hunted before. Or maybe one of you guys haven't hunted, um, but Zach, what advice would you give someone who is interested in going hunting, um, but doesn't know where to start or what pursuit or type of hunting they would enjoy? Um, you know, I know a lot of people that had really bad, um, first time hunting experiences at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they don't enjoy it or their dad had a really bad, you know, where their uncle or cousin or stepdad or something took him out and said, sit here under a tree and be quiet and went off and drank a bunch of beers and yeah. left him there all day by themselves, you know? Yeah. Um, so, um, what advice would you give to someone who's interested in, in getting into it? I would say find a trusted friend or relative that is a pretty good teacher. Um, yeah. Because you're going to have to learn a lot really quick in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't find someone who would fall under the category of uh, a gear snob or anything like that. Yeah. Um, because they're not going to be able to teach you very well. They're going to be more caught up in like, well, you don't have all the right gear and you got to have this brand and you know, all that mess. So, uh, someone who's more of a casual hunter, but has had some successes in their hunting experiences. Um, or an expert that's not caught up on shaming you for what you don't have. Yeah. Um, If you have access to an expert who's more than willing to, you know, go on a novice hunt with you and just kind of introduce you to it and like take them up on that offer. Um, if this and most people are, yeah. Um, I mean, most people will say, yeah, come hunting with me, but that can also be kind of dangerous. Uh, cause mm-hmm. some of them want to show off and that goes back to our last episode with the ego, yeah. but, um, you know, just find someone you trust and someone who's pretty level-headed on that and not mm-hmm. trying to, like, show off and um, really pours into you trying to get you on an animal or if it's fishing right. on some fish, um, you know, whatever the case is. But yeah. uh, someone who will take time out of their hunting to share the sport with you and the experiences Um not someone who's just like, Oh, we have to get an animal every time. But right. Um, and then on, you know, trying to decide what type of hunting you want to do. If you have the opportunity and you know enough people that you can go on pretty much any type of hunt, just yeah. Tag along Take every opportunity. Them. Um, you know, if you don't have the right equipment for it, just 
like ask to borrow because a lot of hunters will be like, yeah, I got into it using this equipment and it worked. But since I'm, you know, getting better at it and putting more time in it, I wanted better equipment. So, you right. know, they'll probably have spare equipment of some kind that you can borrow. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, if you're not ready to pull the trigger on a deer or ducks or birds or whatever, you know, just tag along without a gun and just hang out with the guys and see what it's all about. And then, you know, yeah. you can decide after that if you want to, uh, you know, purchase a gun or borrow a gun because I'm sure most people that hunt have more than one gun. Um, Typically. <laughs> yeah. So, or if you want to bow hunt and you've got a friend that has upgraded bows through the years and kept their old one, ask yeah. them if you can borrow it and get it adjusted. I know that's what Bryce is doing with your old bow because you bought a new one. Um, yeah. So, and so then I'm uh, going to try to borrow your crossbow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can borrow it or buy it or whatever it doesn't matter to me you might have to beat my dad to it but <laughs> i've told i've told my dad the other day i said i'm gonna start renting out my equipment and that'll uh-huh. recoup my license my license cost yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but guys just to kind of give you uh i know this has been long-winded but this is just a casual conversation we're not really reaching towards any like definite point here mm-hmm. um i've really enjoyed the conversation so yeah. um I'm going to use kind of a tangible uh, or a realistic story here of, um, and I mentioned him in previous podcasts and earlier in the podcast as well. Um, But I think this is just like a prime perfect example of um, sort of the mentorship for lack of better words, it goes into hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, So my buddy Bryce um, grew up with him since second grade. Um, His dad had a, you know, a lot of people with hunting, you get one shot with, uh, people for hunting. And if that's not the right person, you miss the opportunity for an outdoorsman for life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very crucial guys that are listening to this, that are hunters, please be careful about the way that you interact with people that don't hunt or are interested in hunting. Um, because you really can ruin the opportunity for a person to be able to enjoy what we do so much. Um, beyond that, Bryce didn't grow up hunting at all. Um, you know, I think he had tagged along with us a couple of times, um, out at the farm, like jumping ponds and, uh, you know, his daddy come out a couple of times with us anyways, Um, so he moved away right before our junior year of high school out to, um, out to Charlotte, North Carolina, and then moved back. He came out here from like my birthday a few years ago, um, and we went mountain biking because he was really into mountain biking. And for those of you that don't know or don't live around here, we have great mountain biking trails in Northwest Arkansas. Um, but decided, hey, I'm going to move back. I miss this place and I really have nothing holding me here. He was in Raleigh at the time. Moved back uh, in August and 
you know, we spent a lot of time together because I didn't really have just a ton of friends around here anymore that were on the same wavelength that I was. Um, and likewise for him. And, uh, so September rolled around and took him dove hunting. Uh, you know, he kind of expressed an interest like, Hey, let's, you know, let's go dove hunt. I'd like to, to get into hunting did that. And, uh, we shot a few birds to say the least. It wasn't, wasn't good. Um, but it was fun and it got him out there and we smoked some stogies and shot, shot a few birds. And so, uh, and then fast forward to October, went to deer camp, um, and didn't really have any success that year. Uh, saw some deer, which was cool, um, for him. Um, but I say all that to say the way in which Bryce went about it was how I would encourage anyone who's wanting to get into it. Um, don't feel like that you have to go out there the first time and know everything. Bryce's approach to it was, I don't want to be the one hunting. I want to go with you and watch you do it so that I can understand the process and learn from you. And even though I am not necessarily the wealth of knowledge with regard to deer hunting that quite frankly, a lot of people are, there's a lot of people that know a lot more about it than I do. Um, and I'm, you know, still learning, but I had enough knowledge to know how to go out there and be educated enough to know what I was doing to have some relative, excuse me, coffee's coming up, (laughs) um, to have some relative success And that's how I would encourage anyone to do it is look at it as almost like a mentorship of don't go out there and want to hunt the first time. Just go out there and just experience it with someone. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was fortunate and blessed to to get the best buck to date um, this past October. Um, Like I said, opening day, which was really neat. Um, really wanted to make that happen because Bryce was out there for the second year in a row um, and hopefully kind of plant that seed. And, uh, man, we worked for it. It rained all weekend hard. Um, So we were wet. We were hot. We were, you know, camping. You know, it was was roughing it um, for all – with all due respects to that. Um, And so – this year, you know, he's expressed more interest in hunting and, um, I upgraded my bow that I had been using since probably 2016. Um, you know, my mindset around it was that, you know, if bow hunting is going to be my primary method of harvest due to the window of season and, and how expensive tags are in Oklahoma and the way that their non-resident tag system works and all of that, um, you know, if I'm going to be doing it a lot, I want the best of the best. Um, so I upgraded my bow and I had my old bow or I say old, my previous bow around. And, um, you know, we had done, my wife was borrowing his laptop. He upgraded his laptop and we were going to buy the laptop from him and all that. And I said, you know what, like you've expressed, um, interest in bow hunting and hunting in general and i know you want to get into it so why don't i just give you my bow and um for the laptop and we'll call it even and um honestly even if the laptop wasn't involved that 
was a very tangible way for me to give to someone else, number one. And number two, to decrease the his barriers of entry mm-hmm. for something that he has expressed interest in. Like I could have sold the bow for probably 250 bucks, you know, and yeah. with the way marketplace and Craigslist is and stuff nowadays, like it's not easy to sell a bow secondhand. Um, so it wouldn't have been super easy to sell. I wouldn't have, I would have gotten, you know, a couple hundred bucks from it, but, um, so that was just a tangible way for me to give to someone else to, like I said, uh, help lower the barrier to entry in that. Um, but guys just kind of be willing, like if you're wanting to get into it, be willing to be a sponge, be willing to be kind of mentored. And, uh, number one, what I should have started off with was like, find someone, uh, that's responsible, mm-hmm. um, that eats what they kill, that they're not constantly bragging about it on Instagram. Um, you know, I would consider myself a gear junkie, but I like to have good gear because I like to be, I like my gear to be functional and I like it to be warm. Yeah, but that's uh, not the only reason you get it. Like, you don't get right. it just for the name on it. You don't get it just because it's the cool thing to have or, you know, right. the most recent um, version of it. So I wouldn't right. consider you that type of gear junkie, but. I mean, you, I'm a, okay, you desire, I'm a gear nerd. Yeah. You desire, I'm a gear nerd. and so you research and you figure out what's going to fit you best. Not like, right. Oh, well, yeah. So-and-so on the hunting channel said this was the best and they're sponsored by this. So I'm going to buy all that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, find someone who's responsible that buys, buys their licenses. That's doing it legally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, licenses are very expensive for me. Um, being that I live in Arkansas and the properties in Oklahoma, you know, it's, I'm literally one, two, three, I'm the fourth generation of this property. Uh, we pay property taxes in Oklahoma on the property yet because I have an Arkansas driver's license. I have to buy out of state tags at $300 a piece. Mm -hmm. And I like, I get it. Like if everyone did it, you know, you know, everyone was doing, would be doing it. But, um, so like someone who spends the money on the license clearly cares about conservation, giving back to the state to help manage those populations and create good habitat so that that can be there for our future generations. Um, but find someone too, that's responsible safety wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I highly encourage anyone or would discourage anyone from getting in a tree stand without a harness on. Um, you know, there's things that seem overkill, but you wish you would have done if you had an accident. Um, you know, if you're doing any sort of hunting that involves a gun, make sure that the person that you're going with establishes rules and uh, guidelines prior to the hunt that everyone understands where everyone's going to be, what the expectations are as far as safety, location, how long you're going to be there, mm-hmm. um, all of that. 
Um, don't go with someone who wants to go out and drive around and road shoot and drink beer. Um, number one, that's illegal. And number two, it's just, uh, not respectful to the, to the animals. Um, you know, there's a time and a place where you kick back by the campfire, you know, that night after it's all done and have a glass of bourbon or crack open a cold one by all means. I, it's one of the things I enjoy most about, uh, deer camp, but, uh, just make sure people, the person or people that you're going with are responsible and safe. Um, cause that's going to create a lot better of an experience for you, for them. And it's going to provide a lot better of a scenario, um, for you to learn. It also um, so be a, the reputation of hunters in general. Um, you right. know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now that is basically saying anyone that owns a gun or is, uh, a hunter or pursues outdoor activities is a bad person or right. a dangerous person. So, um, right. And if you're new to this, I think you'll understand real quick that the majority of people, are not dangerous with this kind of thing. Uh, they're, no, they're highly they, trained and they pursue excellence. And there's a few bad apples in the bunch that um, yeah. spotlight or drive around and shoot deer from a car while they're drinking and, you know, all right. that stuff or don't buy license. Well, and, and the squeaky wheel always gets the grease, right? Yeah. Like you never hear, about someone posting on Facebook, wow, look at this responsible young hunter out mm -hmm. here, you know, shout out to him for buying a license and not being an asshole, you know, yeah. like you never see that. Mm -hmm. It's always, oh, so-and-so or someone was poaching on my land or, you know, it, the picture of a dead deer with the back straps cut out of it and the antler sawed off, you know, like the squeaky wheel always gets the grease in those scenarios. And it's like mm -hmm. I said on the last episode, don't like, if you are a hunter currently or wanting to get into hunting, like we don't need any help, um, making ourselves look any worse. Like, yeah, it, it people are always out to get us already. Um, so don't be the guy that makes that even worse. We don't need any help. Mm -hmm. Um, we need a lot of help changing the perception of it. Um, and you know, from, from early civilizations on, it was a very noble, uh, and courageous thing to hunt, mm -hmm. uh, because you were providing number one, uh, and number two, it takes a, a, uh, relative amount of, of skill and people who were hunters were revered and respected and, and looked up to. And, um, in the last, you know, several decades that has, the, the tide has kind of turned on that. Um, and you know, there, there's been a lot of reasons that hunters have made that, uh, an issue, but also just this, um, everything that surrounds, you know, guns being seen as violent and killing things and, you know, all of that. So just be responsible, uh, at the end of the day, make sure that you find somewhere, 
to get your hunter's safety certification or your hunter's ed, um, you have actually have to have that now. That's a non-negotiable. Um, they won't even give you a license if you don't. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a loophole out there, but so anyways, guys, um, thanks for, uh, listening to this episode. I think it's been a really good conversation. I know I've enjoyed this more, uh, laid back, uh, conversational type dialogue. Um, so we're definitely gonna do some more of these codger talks and, uh, let us know, give us some feedback on, on what you guys want to hear us talk about or, uh, something that you guys are curious about. And, uh, we'd love to give our feedback on that and and talk about it. So Zach, thanks for all of your insight and your input. It's been cool to hear your experience growing up around hunting and in the outdoors and everything. So it's been fun. Yep. I've enjoyed it too. All right, guys. Thanks again. We will, uh, catch you on the next episode. And, uh, in the meantime, be sure to Share this with someone who you think would want to hear it or needs to hear it. And uh, follow us on Instagram at Young Codgers Podcast. See y'all.